morning. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians 2, 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be changed by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should, be, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for those here this morning, and thank you for everyone that made this gathering possible. Um, I just pray that we would put our trust and our hope in you above all else, um, as Paul does, and despite what this world would tell us to put our hope and trust in. Uh, please be with Josue this morning as he delivers your word, and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Buenos dias, familia. <clears throat> it's uh, really good to be here with you this morning as we continue in our journey to joy in the book of Philippians. As I was thinking about this text this week, um, something came to mind of my childhood that you probably had in your childhood as well. And that is this idea of when I grow up, I want to be like, and you probably can remember who you wanted to be like when you grew up. So when I was a real small kid, I grew up in the church, and I remember telling my mom, I want to be like the pastor. And so I was in a pretty old school church, and we would wear suits and ties at church, and so I would always tell her, I want to suit just like the pastors, I want you to comb my hair just like the pastor, and I would come up to the front and sit with the pastor every Sunday, because in my mind, I, I can't tell you why, but I just wanted to be like the pastor. Somewhere along the lines in middle school... Um, I stopped saying that, and the pastor kind of pulled me aside one day and said, hey, I haven't heard you say that recently, now that you're a teenager. I was like, yeah, you know, pastors don't make that much money, so I just, I don't think I want to be a pastor, and uh, the Lord has a very funny way of bringing things full circle. But as I continued growing up, um, middle school, high school, I then began to look at public big figures like Michael Jordan. I remember thinking, man, if I could just get my crossover right, I'll make it to the NBA, and um, God did not have that for me either. And I kept journeying through life, and the older I got, the more I looked to different types of figures to begin to think of what kind of man I wanted to be like. And as I've gotten older, and it's weird for me to say that now in my late 30s, to think, man, as I've gotten older and I think back on my childhood mentality of I want to be like this person, like that person, the things I valued, over time what I've began to change in my mind is answering a different type of question. And the question that 
I began to answer for myself that I think you must answer for yourself as well is who, ha who has had the most impact in your life? Who has had the most impact in your life? And when you think about that person or persons, when you think about those friendships or those family members, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's a cousin, maybe it's someone here in the church, um, you begin to realize, like Paul, I think, in this text, that really what these people have been to you and to me have been really good friends. At a very basic level, they have been really good friends to you and to me. And so as we journey through today's text, I believe that we're going to see marks of what good friendship looks like, of what good, faithful friends look like. But let me urge you to fight the temptation that I fought this week. As I read this text and I looked at Timothy and I looked at Epaphroditus, I had this sensation of wanting to think, Lord, I want people like this in my life. Lord, I want more Timothys, I want more Epaphroditus in my life. And what the Spirit kind of convicted me of through this text and through this time that I hope you keep in mind is what if the greater question is, would you be this type of friend? Would you be the type of friend like Timothy and Epaphroditus, the way they were to Paul? And so as we journey through today's text, my hope is that you will look to them and look to the way they live very practically what Paul's been calling us to live out. And I hope that you are challenged to leave here today wanting to live in this manner. And so with that in mind, let's get started with today's text. Paul opens up this section in verse 19, and he says, I hope in the Lord to, to Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, if you have not been in church for a while, or maybe you're new to church and you don't know who Timothy is, he is introducing this young man who was probably in his 20s. He is Paul's protege. When we read the book of Acts, we find Paul journeying through South Asia, and he is preaching the gospel. He gets to Lystra and Derby, and in his first missionary trip, uh, we see that he preaches the gospel in Philippi, and, and, and we see that this young man, Timothy, is from there. He is from that Lystra area. Now, Paul leaves, leaves on to continue to preach the gospel, and in his second journey, he comes back around, and he hears of the good reputation of Timothy in, in this region of Lystra. And so hearing of this good reputation after a couple years of Timothy being developed and maturing, he invites Timothy to journey with him in the rest of what would be Paul's second missionary journey. And as Timothy journeys with Paul, as Timothy is walking with Paul, he begins to see all the persecution that Paul is seeing. He begins to experience all the persecution that Paul is experiencing. He is beginning to live in a way that is way beyond his comfort zone because he is next to a man who has given his complete life to Christ. And so this is the man that Paul is talking about when he talks about Timothy. Now, Timothy was a son of a Jewish mom and a Greek father, and so the people in Philippi would have known who Timothy is. Now, as well for Epaphroditus, if you look at the middle of the name, Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love and fertility. He was from a Greek family. He was from a pagan family. And Paul is looking at these two men and giving them as an example. Why? Because Paul's been telling us in chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition. He says, instead, love others, count others more than yourself. And he says, this is the mind of Christ. This is the way Christ lived for you and for me. And then he says, I too, in verse 17 of chapter 2, I am poured out for your sake. I am poured out for your well-being. And so I think the Philippians might have listened to Paul and seen this text and thought, well, but that's Jesus, Paul. Like, I can't live like Jesus. And it's you, Paul. Like, you're an apostle. God called you. Like, you have this crazy conversion story. Like, that's not our story. And Paul almost to say, okay, yes, that's Jesus. And yes, I am Paul. Like, this 
lifestyle that I am calling you guys to live out is not that far from people that are from your own town, from your own church. And what I hear from Paul in his description of Timothy and Epaphroditus is this, is be like them. It is this echo of as we look to Timothy and Epaphroditus, he is echoing some words that I think are, are, will resonate with us. Be like them. Be good friends. Be good co-workers. Be good laborers. Be good soldiers. Be good partners in the gospel. And so he comes and he presents Timothy to us and he says, I have, in verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In verse 21, For, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The first thing that I think Paul kind of exposes to us about the life of a maturing friend of a good friend is this, is that a good friend seeks Christ and his interest. A good friend seeks Christ and his interest. You see, he says, Timothy is not like these other guys. And these other guys are not the unbelievers in the town. He's actually talking about other people who say they are Christian. He said these other people seek their own interests. They are seeking their own self-ambition, their own well-being. But Timothy, he is not like that. This brother, he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. In fact, he is so concerned for your welfare, he has journeyed with me all these years. He has labored with me fruitfully all these years. And now he is with me as Paul is suffering in prison. He is suffering with Paul there. And he is telling him, this guy doesn't look to his own interest. He looks to the interest of Christ. Now, if you have journeyed in any amount of time at church, you know that sometimes we have seasons that are a little difficult with one another. We have seasons where we look at across the table and we look across to each other and we think, man, this is really hard right now, bro. You are really getting on my nerves. I can't stand what you're saying. I can't stand what you're doing. I can't stand what you are about. And what I think I see in Timothy here is that he is a man that experiences all those things, but at a deeper heart level, what he is seeing and experiencing is Christ. He is seeking Christ and the interest of Christ. And what we find are, is this reality, that, that John Calvin poses this way. He says, It is impossible that the man who is devoted to self should apply himself to the interest of the church. For it must necessarily be that one or other of two dispositions prevail over us. Either that overlooking ourselves we are devoted to Christ and those things that are Christ, or that unduly intent are our, on our own advantage, we serve Christ in a superficial manner. You see, John Calvin was saying it's really impossible for us to try to serve Christ and try to serve our own self-interest. If you've journeyed any amount of time or served or have tried to be a good friend any amount of time and you've gotten tired and you said, man, I've just been hurt so many times by friendships, by the church, by the people around me, might I ask you to consider Christ lived the same way. Christ was betrayed by those that he would call his own. They turned his back on him. You and I turned our back on Christ. And yet the way of Christ is simple. It's one word. It is the word that we have lived for and lived from for a long time. And it is this word, love. You see, when we seek Christ and we seek his interest, we are to seek Christ and his people, his church. And what he is calling us to seek is ultimately this idea of love. If you and I would love one another the way Christ loves us, he says the world would know we are his disciples. If you and I would have that kind of affection, that kind of genuine concern for the welfare of the other person, we would be marked as disciples of Christ. Now, I have to be honest with you, fam. This week, as I was in this text, God gave me many opportunities 
to live this way. He specifically gave me many opportunities to live this way with my wife. And, you know, I'm in this text since the beginning of the week. I'm reading it. I'm, like, looking at Timothy's life. I'm looking at Epaphroditus' life, and I'm like, man, these, these men are awesome. Like, they're giving their life for the gospel. They're serving. They're contending. They're ready to die. They're almost at the point of death. And this week, my wife had asked me for a couple of very specific things for me to do. And I'm like, yeah, sweetie, I, I'll get to them, but I really got to study the word. I'm preaching. I don't know if you know this. Like, I'm preaching on Sunday, and the people expect a really good message. And so, like, I'm going to get to that. And I'm in this text, and I'm wrestling with this text, and, and, and God's inviting me, hey, love your wife. And I'm like, yes, Lord, I, I will love my wife. I will seek her interest, but first, I got to seek the interest of your people, of your work, right? Like, I got to honor you. I got to love you. And God, God just told me toward the end of the week, unfortunately, and so I can't even come in and tell you, man, I killed it the last couple of days. But in me, in my heart, as I was in this text, as I was looking at Timothy, I just kept hearing God tell me, be like him. Be like Timothy. Be a Timothy to your wife. Now, I did not do this well this week, and so I must repent of that, and I will continue this week and try it again and try to live out the way that Timothy lives for his brother Paul. But might I ask you to consider, husbands, this week, what if this week you are to be a Timothy to your wife? What if this week you go to your wife and you say, honey, what do you need? And don't qualify it. Don't quantify it. Don't justify yourself. Just simply say, what do you need from me? And love her that way. Or wives, maybe this is your week where you need to turn to your husband and look at your husband and say, honey, babe, what do you need? What can I do for you this week? Or students, maybe you are in here and you're thinking, all right, well, that's my mom and my dad. What if you did something crazy and radical and went into your brother's or your sister's room and you looked at them and said, hey, bro, what do you need? They would probably have a heart attack because we're not used to living that way with our siblings, right? But what if this week we actually took the love that Timothy had for God's people and we just simply applied it very practically in our household? What if we just went to the people that are closest to us and we asked, what do you need? And we would serve them the way Timothy served the church and the way Timothy served Paul. See, I am convinced more so now than ever that this is the way of Christ. This is what it means to see Christ. It is not just me in my intimate place crying and praying to the Lord, Lord, I'm seeking you. What is your will? Sometimes we over-spiritualize really simple things, and God is simply saying love. Love those around you. Love those in your household. Love those in your church. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things like, Lord, am I supposed to be serving on the road crew? If you've not heard from the Lord, he says yes. You are supposed to serve on the road crew. Okay? But this is a very oversimplification, I know, of something that seems so simple. But God is saying, this is the way we love one another. When we seek him, we seek the welfare of those around us. The reason that we are sitting in this room is because there are men and women who have sought Christ, sought his interest of loving you and loving me well, and we're here since 7.30 this morning setting up this place that the gospel might be proclaimed clearly for you and for me to be transformed more into the image of Christ. And let me invite you to consider that is not that invitation isn't just for the road crew that comes here at 7.30 in the morning. It's not just for the men and women who are praying throughout the week so that we would have a fruitful gathering. No, that invitation is also for you. That invitation is also for you to step in and to love and to serve others the same way. And you may say, but bro, I just, you don't know what's going on in my life. I have so many things I am struggling with. I have so many things that make it really hard for me to love other people. But we're not alone, fam. We're not the first ones to face trials. And, and I just want to take you to a text that might be familiar to you. 
And, and I just want to read the whole context for you, and that is Jeremiah 29. You've heard this, this verse 11 before, but I just want to read four verses around it, 10 through verse 14. And this is God speaking to his people in the Old Testament, and it's going to come up on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles. But this is God speaking, and he says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Mm, that's, a, that's the verse we like, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. But then he gives us the purpose here. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, all the trials that we go through, those are actually the gift of God. All the circumstances that we go through, he tells his people, you're about to go into 70 years of captivity. Those are the good plans the Lord has for his people. Why? Because through that trial and through that hardship, their heart would be turned back to God. Their heart would be turned back to completely be aligned with the Lord. And he says, if you would seek me with all your heart, our challenge at times is that we seek him with parts of our heart. We seek him with the parts that are sometimes more convenient and are easier and sometimes look even pretty like me this week. Lord, I, but I'm preparing for your, for your word to be taught on Sunday, to be preached on Sunday. And the Lord is saying, just give me all your heart. Your first place of love starts at home. And so what if you and I, with, with all of our hearts, sought the Lord, sought his will, and loved others? This would be a community that would reflect people like Timothy, people like Paul, people like Epaphroditus, and the world would see a community that truly are disciples of Christ. And so Paul says, hey, you have this example, seek Christ, seek others, and then he shows us in verse, um, he shows us in verse 22. He continues on about Timothy. He says, but you know, you Philippians know, Timothy's proven worth. Okay, now the words here for proven worth are the words for testing. I know many of us don't want to think about school, right? We're, we're way graduated. We're way beyond school. And what we see here is that Paul is telling us, hey, your faith will be tested. 1 Peter 1, 6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you don't know this, the testing that happens in your life reveals the faith that you have in your heart. Whatever hardships you're going through, whatever difficult circumstances you're having in life right now, God is showing you what faith you have in your heart. And Paul here is showing us the kind of faith that Timothy and the kind of faith that Epaphroditus had uh, in their lives. And so I just wanted to give you this acronym that, that I think will show us the kind of faith that Paul sees in Timothy and Epaphroditus. First thing he sees in them is that they are faithful men. These men are faithful. He says, there is no one like Timothy. Timothy has journeyed with Paul through the thick and through the thin. Some of us have seen the franchise Fast and Furious, probably like the most Christian, uh, you know, thematic movie of all times. It, it's but you have this group of friends that call each other family, right? They, they say family above everything. And they have this concept of ride or die of this loyalty. Like they are faithful and loyal to one another. And then they go on and save the world through some like crazy missions. I mean, the last one, they ended up in space in their race cars, right? Like it's crazy. 
And just when you think it's over, there's another one coming out in May of this year. Fast 10, okay? Crazy, crazy stories that we see the world looking at and thinking, man, that's family. Look how united they are. And Paul's saying, man, I have a ride or die right here in Timothy. I have a ride or die here in Epaphroditus. Look how faithful they are. Timothy, there's no one like him. He's journeying with me. And Epaphroditus, he is the guy that took the care package from Philippi to Paul in prison. This was a journey of about six weeks. And we, Paul tells us here, he almost died doing this work. That is the kind of faithfulness that he saw in Timothy and he saw in Epaphroditus. So might you be the type of person that we could call and look at as faithful? as faithful and reliable. Timothy and Epaphroditus were faithful, and they were reliable. He describes Epaphroditus in this way in verse 25. He is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And in case we missed it, this is a reflection of chapter 1, verse 5. He is my partner in the gospel. He is my fellow brother. He is advancing the gospel in 112. He is my fellow worker. And the word for worker here is synergos, meaning synergy. Like there is this synergistic work. And then he says, he is my fellow soldier, which is a complete or, or connect, uh, direct correlation to 117, that we are striving side by side, contending for the faith. You see, what we see in Epaphroditus is a well-balanced Christian. He is a man that knows how to be a brother. He knows how to be a friend. He knows how to contend for the gospel, how to fight for the gospel, how to share the gospel. And he, he, he is a man that lives this discipleship lifestyle that you and I are called to live as family of missionary servants. He is on mission, but he does not forget to be a brother. He does not to be, forget to be a servant. And Paul says to Tennis, look at them. Be like him. Be like Epaphroditus. So I wonder, would you be the type of person that can be described as a brother as a fellow worker, and as a fellow soldier, my prayer is that the answer to that question would be yes, that we would be faithful and reliable. The other thing we see here is that they are available. Paul here at the verse 25 or 24 says, I, uh, sorry, verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, I want you to think about this. Timothy is hanging out with Paul. He's waiting. Paul's waiting to see what his sentence is going to be, what's going to happen to him. And Timothy's just kind of weighing around. And if I'm Timothy and I've been working hard, I've been going at this labor with Paul, I'm kind of like, all right, Paul, what's next? What are we doing next? And Paul's just saying, hey, just wait. Just wait till we figure out what's going to happen to me. And Timothy is a man that is available, that he is available to wait and he is available to serve. He is available to be present with Paul in his time of need. And he's also available to take all these letters that, that Paul would send to the churches. He is available. And we see the same thing in Epaphroditus. He's the first one that steps up and says, hey, I'll take that care package to Paul. And so we find men that are faithful, that are available. We find men that, men that are serviceful. Paul describes Timothy in verse 22 as a son with a father who serves with the gospel. And the same thing we see in Epaphroditus is that he nearly died for the work of Christ. Nearly died for the work of Christ. We see men that are willing to lay down their lives in service of the gospel and in service of others. And finally, we find men that are teachable. Now, this is probably our least favorite one. Like you and me, we've graduated many times from being teachable. We think we know what we're doing and how we're going to do it. And I don't need anybody telling me how to live my life. We've heard that term before. And yet Christ would say, look at Timothy. He's like a son to me. 
He's like a son that is working with the father who is being taught, who is being discipled by me. And Epaphrodite is having learned, he is living this life that he learned from Paul and the other believers. They are men that are teachable. So if we want to experience the joy that comes from being others focused, from being centered around Christ and living for others first, we must be men and women who, uh, this acronym is just FAST, that are faithful, available, serviceable, and teachable. And all this comes out together in love, okay? All this is united in love. Now, you may, again, may think, well, bro, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready to do this. I'm not ready to step into this. Might I ask you to consider that we're never ready. I, I wasn't ready to begin to the church plant. I wasn't ready to join the missional corps here at the Grove. I wasn't ready to, to not be a, a, a dumb 25-year-old uh, young man that Lance found in, in, in his Great love began to disciple me then. I wasn't ready, but God calls us, and he empowers and equips us as we step in faith and in obedience, and we are men and women who are faithful, available, serviceable, serviceful, and teachable. And so I just want to ask you to take these things and to ask yourself this week, am I this type of person? Am I the type of person that when the leaders of the church or my brothers in the faith look at me, they see a person that is faithfully present. You want to see fruit bear out of you? Be faithful in the little things. Continue to be faithful to the Lord and to what he's called you and me to do, and you will see the fruit of his spirit be alive in you. Are you available? Not just physically present, all right? I I know many times we can show up, but are we actually making ourselves available? Look at how Paul makes himself available. We see uh, words of his humanity in here when he talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus. He talks about his anxiety. He talks about eagerness. He talks about how he would have had sorrow upon sorrow had Epaphroditus died. He makes his emotions available. Have you thought about you making yourself emotionally available to your husband and to your wife, to your kids, to your church family, to your neighbors, What would it look like if we made ourselves available, not just to be present and to listen, but also to share what God is doing in our hearts? I pray that the Lord would point us to men like Timothy and Epaphroditus and that we would be reminded to be like them. Be like them. And so Paul points this out. And then finally, we also see that we're not just to be men and women who are about Christ, seeking Christ and his interests, testing and being proven, having our character be proved by the way we live. But also we see the final two things that Paul shows us about Epaphroditus and Timothy is this, that they were generous and sacrificial. They were men who were generous and sacrificial. You want to find joy? You want to find joy that doesn't end? You want to find joy that surpasses all understanding? Well, might you be the type of person that lives like Paul, generously, These are his ride or dies. These are his best friends. And these are the men that he is saying, hey, I want to send Timothy to you. I want to send Epaphroditus to you. He is sending his best, his closest, the most meaningful thing to him. He is sending them that they may be an encouragement to the church in Philippi. And we see that Paul, when he says, make my joy complete, his joy is complete in men like like Epaphroditus and like Timothy. Matthew 25, 21 says this, His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. See, we find the joy of our master when we are faithful with the little, when we are faithful to be generous and sacrificial with the little that the Lord has given us. Given us. And, I, and I just continue to think, Paul saying, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus. And if these examples are too, too removed from us, and we might think, yeah, but bro, these are the guys in the Bible. Like, nobody would ever write about me, like, in the Bible. My name's not in the Bible. We have these examples in our church. I've told you of the men and women who sit up and tear down every Sunday, of the pastors who pray for you every week, who are looking to God for direction for what you need to be cared for, to grow and be empowered, to be about the mission of God. This week as I looked at this text and I thought, man, I, I'm so grateful. I, I, can, I can count myself almost like Timothy. Not that I've arrived at the level of the way Timothy has lived, but I've had a Paul in my life for a few years now. I've had Lance love on me, shepherd me, disciple me for over a decade. And that's, uh, that's his, his response to loving Christ. He has loved me, and I am a product of that, of being here, of being loved and discipled so well. I have brothers who have sat with me and cried with me through loss, through difficult circumstances, brothers who have rebuked me and corrected me when I've needed it. I have that in this room, and you do too. But might I ask you to consider that will take you stepping out of your comfort zone, making yourself available to be teachable, to be loved on, to be discipled, so that you might truly experience the joy of the Lord that surpasses all understanding. And the person that I think came to mind quickly this week as I was thinking about this, that I just, I, don't, I didn't know if I was going to be ready to share with you about this, is our brother, our late brother John, a brother who from 2014 has been part of this core, a brother who served faithfully, generously, sacrificially, a man who fought cancer well, a man who God gave him an extra couple of years with us. And what I remembered about John uh, is we went to visit him when he was at his deathbed with my wife. We went to be an encouragement to him, to love on him, to just enjoy some last few moments before he, he transitioned into paradise. And as we're sitting there, we're like, hey, John, how you doing, brother? It's good to see you. Give him a hug. This man looks at us, and he says, how are you? Yadira, how's school? In his broken language, because his brain cancer had messed up his speech, we could understand a man who is generous, who is sacrificial, who is loving others beyond himself. He's putting others first. And that is just a beautiful example to me that if I ever had to write a book, I would say, be like John. Be like John. And if I ever had to write a book, I'd say things like, be like Lance. And I know he doesn't like that. <laughs> be like Lance. Be like the elders you see here leading you. Be like the brothers and sisters here who have labored for your soul, who have labored hard to love you well, who have put up with messiness in your life. We don't like to think we are messy people, but we are. And God has, in his great mercy and grace, given us a beautiful family here at church that labors hard and diligently to love you, to honor you, to serve you, that you might love others the same way. And so as I think about my brother John, I just think of a man that, man, I have every joy in writing his name, be like John. And I pray that as I journey forward, I would be the type of man to you, the type of brother to you that you could say, man, I, Brother Josue loves me well. He serves me well. He is a brother. He is a fellow worker. He is a soldier by my side. But check this out. This will require sacrifices. The last two verses, 29, 
So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. This last statement almost feels like a little, little jab from Paul to the Philippians, like, hey, you didn't do your work right. You didn't do enough. So by the way, your brother, Epaphroditus here, he almost died doing what you were supposed to do. And that's like a little nugget for here. When you are on the sidelines, when you don't step up to what God is calling you to do, other people have to step in and do the work. Other people have to step in and do some risky things to help continue the mission of God because you are sitting on the sidelines and you are lacking in your service. And these brothers and sisters may find themselves in really hard situations because you are on the sideline. I pray that this would be the kind of church where we are not lacking For you are activated. You are exercising your priesthood. You are loving those around you. You are serving faithfully. You are teachable, that you are serviceful, and that you are constantly available to the service of others. But Paul says, hey, this brother, he almost died. By God's grace, he did not die. But look at him. He took a risk, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. He took a risk. I'd ask you to think about what God is asking you to risk right now. It might be comfort. It might be safety. It might be the known and stepping into the unknown. I don't know. I don't know what God might be asking you to risk, but it is worth the risk. It is worth the risk because Christ left heaven, came to earth, and he died for you and for me. He counted being God nothing to be grasped, and he came, and Paul says earlier in the chapter, he emptied himself out to obedience to the point of death. That is the type of love that Christ has for you and has for me. And that is what motivates me to live a life where I am not lacking in service, where I'm trying, and when I do lack, I repent. I I take a hold of the gospel, and I remind myself, Christ has loved me this way. Who am I to withhold this kind of love and this kind of service to my wife, to my church, to my friends, to my neighbors, and to this world? I am no one. I am no one to withhold that love because Christ has first loved me that way. So it will require sacrifice, and it will require risk. But might I ask you to consider that when we step out in boldness, in obedience, when we actually activate the priesthood God has given us, when we live out of this reality, what we find is what Paul's been calling us to and is what we've been journeying towards, joy. We find joy. My joy is complete when I think about John. My joy is complete when I think of some of you stepping up to serve, some of you stepping up into things that you are not comfortable with, some of you stepping into church planting with us, the family has been journeying with us for a while now, stepping into the unknown, and so we don't know what may come, but we are simply trying to be faithful and obedient, and my joy is complete when I see us being men and women who live this way. Let me just remind you of this. The process is not perfect. Our relationships are not perfect, but it is worth it. Paul says, be like these men. Be like Timothy. Be like Epaphroditus. It is worth it. And I pray that you and I would see the value not just in these men or the type of friends that we would want in our lives, but we would see the value in being these type of men to our neighborhoods, to our networks, and to the nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for this day. I'm grateful um, that on this day we are reminded of men like Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even Paul. We're reminded of ultimately Christ, 
the mind of Christ, the example of Christ, that he loved others, that he served others, and he called us friends. And so we, as people of God, are called to love others, to serve others, and to be good friends. Father God, I'm grateful for the examples you've left in Scripture to remind us that this type of life is possible. You don't just call us to it, like you empower us to live it. And we see it in very ordinary men like Timothy and Epaphroditus who, who were taking care packages and delivering letters back to the Philippians of Paul's words. Men who did very ordinary basic tasks, but ultimately these very basic ordinary tasks helped continue the work of the gospel. I pray that in this church we would be men and women who don't graduate from the ordinary simple tasks of serving you, of serving others, of serving you through our hands, through our talents, through our time, through our treasure, and through, ma through making ourselves available to others, Lord. The same way you have loved us, the same way you have sought us, the same way you have sent people in our lives to be Paul's, to be Timothy's, to be Epaphrodite's, Lord, I pray that we will leave here today encouraged and challenged to be these type of men and women to the world around us, to the church that we are a part of, and specifically, Father God, and even more presently to our families, to our husband, to our wife, to our kids, to our parents, to our siblings, Lord, whatever direction that relationship stretches in, I pray that we would be full of Christ and his love, and that out of that fullness, as we turn our hearts completely to you, we would truly love one another well. And that in so doing, this world would know that we are your disciples. We're grateful for these examples. We're grateful for the reminders of men like John, who year in and year out served us faithfully, sacrificially. And now we get to carry on that legacy in our work of the gospel. Just pray that this word would land and change our hearts in miraculous ways. In your name we pray. Amen.